What's up, y'all? It's your girl, Nurse Ree, and you're tuning in to Forensic Nurse Files. This is an informative but fun true crime podcast that follows the careers of three forensic nurse examiners. We just want to note that this podcast uses foul language, some sarcasm, and contains descriptions of adult themes and violence that some people may find disturbing. So if you need support, please check the show notes or visit our website. Hey, everybody, and thank you for joining our podcast. This is Ellie and Rhea and Joy. And today we're going to talk about something super heavy. Intimate partner violence, domestic violence, teen dating violence, violence against men. Like, there's so much. Dude, so I also, I was going to mention it that this is probably going to be one of the episodes that the majority of people can relate to because... The majority of everyone, because the statistic of how much any type of violence, physical, mental, emotional, psychological, has occurred between relationships is insane. And it, it it's crazy because I also was thinking about this earlier alongside the lines of, like, uh, sexual assault. Like, I feel like women and pretty much, I want to say all of my friends have gotten sexually assaulted at least once in their life and it, i mean and it doesn't even count as like full-on rape but like people making you uncomfortable people making comments about you people touching you when you don't want them to touch you so i feel like this is this alongside that is probably something that a lot of people have experienced but didn't know it was actually like it didn't actually fall under the category of act of domestic violence because like people think that he's like oh i'm just fighting with my partner but he's not supposed to be calling you names you're not supposed to be calling him names you know stuff like that. this is a call we actually got a lot like not as much as suspicious injury but it's up there yeah it's and there. you would see the same patients over and over and yeah. when you stop seeing them you kind of wonder did the abuse stop or did they kill her or him right I feel like people go through things where maybe like a schoolmate or even like a relative or somebody touches you inappropriately. And maybe back then you don't realize that that's not okay. But then you get older and you start to, as more and more people come forward about what they've been through, you realize like, oh, I kind of went through something like that too. Maybe that was wrong. It's, It's a good and bad thing when people relate to each other over this type of stuff real heavy didn't you have one was it you or someone else that had one that was pretty damn close to attempted murder yeah i had one that she passed away so it ended up oh yeah i don't yeah but i don't know you know because we don't ever get the after story we just do the case and then that's it so but she did pass away she was in the icu when i did her case she was unresponsive yeah it was skeptical it was like questionable whether or not it was an accident and whether or not the kids saw. Oh, uh, were the kids young? You couldn't ask them? They were, I want to say less than 10. Okay. Um, and they had initially said they saw, and then they had retracted and said they didn't. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. That's interesting. I feel like when they're young, it's like hard. They're, it's a hard spot for them to be in, like to say, like, your mom or dad did do this or didn't mm-hmm. do this. Like, they don't want to get caught in the middle of it. They don't want to get in trouble by one or the other. Mm-hmm. That's really hard. Yeah, that's going to be a, a, an interesting story to tell. That was one of my worst 
my worst domestic violence. The worst one. Oh, yeah. Jeez. Mm. Man, I can't imagine. That's scary. Yeah, that was rough. That was rough. So, intimate partner violence. So, domestic violence, they're transitioning out of that term, and they're switching it to intimate partner violence. Um, Did we ever talk about or find out why? Yeah, so, um, so domestic violence is now like the blanket term. And then underneath domestic violence, there's intimate partner violence and there's teen dating violence and there's different categories. So yeah, so domestic violence is within a household, but it can be between any two people that are within the household. So it can be like a parent and a child, or it can be siblings, or it can be roommates or step parent child, like anything like that. Whereas intimate partner violence is exactly what it says. It's romantic partners, but they do not have to be living together. Oh, okay. So like, hence the word domestic Mm -hmm. versus intimate. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. So intimate Mm -hmm. partner narrows it down to somebody that has a romantic relationship with you. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Awesome. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I was wondering, which is, so yeah it's interesting because it's like that a lot of the definitions i looked up said parent child but i'm like isn't that child abuse that's but child abuse. i guess if yeah. the child is not a minor it's not if so would it be if if the adult child was harming if the adult child was harming the parent would that be domestic violence or even if the a parent is harming the adult child because child abuse they have to be a minor oh that's true right Oh, then, then mm-hmm. after the child becomes an adult, it would be then domestic violence. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. I didn't yeah. know that. I'm wondering why they were narrowing it down to intimate partner violence. Just to tell you a little bit about that, it's um, defined as the abuse or aggression that occurs in a romantic relationship, meaning, you know, like an intimate partner. And that refers to both current and former spouses and dating partners. So you don't have to be currently dating somebody to be a victim of intimate partner violence it could be an ex-boyfriend or you know an you know uh, ex-husband or ex-wife and interpersonal violence can vary in how often it happens and how severe it is so it can range from one episode of violence that could have lasting impact of course you know um, or it could be like um, you know just one episode can be like very traumatic but it can also be like chronic severe episodes over multiple years you know sometimes people experience this one time in a relationship and sometimes people endure this for many many years with a partner so that's the thing that gets me also and i always say it that intimate partner violence victims we see recurringly yeah yep they come back and they don't always consent to having this done because they're so scared and they're that's the part that's hardest for me is to like see that fear on their face also um we get the combination cases where it's domestic violence sexual assault and then child abuse also because the kids will be there watching this Mm -hmm. happen and then strangulation has a separate set of photos uh, and different protocol that sometimes when they strangle the person it would be during an intimate partner violence before or after the sexual assault Mm-hmm. It gets it gets complicated. Please, <laughs> yeah, yeah, Jeez. it's a lot. Jeez. It's a lot. It is a lot. Yeah. And yeah. these take and- a lot of time to do because the forms are not mm-hmm. short. If you're doing a domestic violence yeah. form and a sexual assault form, 
and the strangulation and child yeah, abuse. And, like, and oh my gosh, man. And these are patients you can be with for a long time. Yeah, a lot hours. Hours. And like these questions on the forms that we have to fill out are up in there. They're up oh, yeah. in there. It talks as like ejaculation, where it the ejaculate went. Did you bathe? Did you shower? Did you brush your teeth? Was any other type of mm-hmm. molestation? There even is a question where it says, um, did this get posted on the internet or did you show this? Did, did you, doesn't it say like, did you take a picture? Did the person take a picture and show it to other people? Yeah. There's a lot of intimate questions on there. Like, did they wear a condom? Like all kinds of questions. Like they want every single detail of the assault as much as the victim can give, which can be really hard for them, which is why we try to make it so they only have to tell the story one time. One time. Yeah. I always feel really awkward because they just got violated. And sometimes I feel like this form is also violating by all these sensitive Mm -hmm. questions. So I try to, Mm -hmm. I try to do my job well, but not at the cost of more harm to the patient. Yeah. And a lot of the questions on the form, like you can answer from them just telling the story of the incident. Um, But a lot of times you have to go back and ask more detailed questions, which sucks. But like you said, we try to, if we can get by with not, we try to not. We try to, but you have to. You have have to. to, yeah. The more details, the better every time. But I want to say the instances where I have to go back and ask more detailed questions are when there's a history of assault. So we want to really get that backstory so that we can create that history so that there's even more of a high possibility that the suspect can get caught. Teen dating violence. That's like, that's dating violence. So um, we're going to talk about adverse childhood experiences or ACEs later, you know, um, so that is an adverse childhood experience that someone who's in their teens can experience, you know, so we're going to talk about that, but, um, yeah. And especially now, like we're in such a digital age, like teens are online more and more, right. They're the main, I feel like generation of people that are on the internet. They're on TikTok. They're on Instagram. They're not really on Facebook. I feel like the older generation is now like. Isn't that weird? I know. It's so weird that Facebook and remember MySpace was one of the first social media platforms and that's now considered old. And um, one of the things when I've had um, the teen dating violence cases that I've had, it's so strange to me to put in the addendum. Oh, he posted this on Snapchat or he went on Instagram live. It's so strange. It's just a very awkward feeling putting down that um, these teens and well, also adults are getting abused over the internet. Yeah. That's a big change that we didn't have in the past. And it's actually very, we're going to talk about how prominent that is a little bit later in the episode. Yeah. It's also like low key, a form of control. Cause I feel like I've had to put that in my addendums too. Like, Oh, so-and-so went in my, in or social media and changed my passwords and like locked me out or like posted something. It's just crazy the way like things have evolved. Yeah, it is. It's, it makes it so accessible to, um, for someone to be a victim, you know, it's crazy, you know, and it's with these parents that just give their, you know, 12 or 13 year old a phone, 
like a smartphone that gives them access, they should really be thinking twice. In regards to teen dating violence, so would this be like two teens or one teen mm-hmm. and one adult? One of the last cases I did, one of the most recent cases I did, was I had two teenagers, technically in an intimate partner violence, but they were both underage. So I can't remember. I think I called our manager and asked her what she wanted me to do. And I think that actually got filed under, I mean, domestic violence, which is intimate partner. But now I'm wondering Mm -hmm. if it was really teen dating violence and there just like isn't a form that exists. Yeah, it sounds like it would be teen dating violence. I feel like they should make a separate form for that for minors. Yeah. Because it's super different. It is very different. And then you have those. uh, I had one. Oh, um, this was one where the boyfriend was dragging the the girlfriend was getting in or out of the car and he was driving it and she got dragged. And that's why she got into the ER. But he was over 18 and she wasn't. Mm. So I think it was like he was 18 and she was 16 or something. So that wouldn't count as child abuse because child abuse is categorized by a caretaker and a child, but they're also in an intimate partner situation. Yeah. It gets tricky. There should be a teen dating violence form. Yes. Yes. There really should. Maybe that's something that this podcast can lead us to create or to help us to create. So those are the main types of dating violence. It's intimate partner, domestic, and domestic's not even dating, but it's just a blanket term, like I said, but intimate partner, teen dating violence, and also violence against men, because that's something that's not really talked about. That's a huge one that's not talked about, and I'm so glad that we're going to talk about that in our episodes. And teen dating violence. I feel like mm-hmm. I feel like I've never had a male sexual assault victim, now that I think about it. I have. I have, and I have not just sexual assault, my first prison call, physical assault. Oh well, yeah, actually, the prison call. Well, the prison call was a male uh, sexual assault, but it wasn't a domestic fi- or an intimate partner violence case. I feel like I've heard of one of our other nurses have one male sexual assault um, case, but not me. I've never had one, but not sexual and that domestic probably violence. like I've had several like multiple cases where the man is not sexual assault but domestic violence violence against him yeah so, i have two. Yeah, oh um, actually i haven't had a lot i've had one but i know it happens and i know they're less inclined to come in for treatment or to report it i think there's a a lot of embarrassment surrounding it for men i think so yeah it makes it really hard i for feel them. like now that i sit and think about it a lot of my male friends are in not a lot of them. Some of my male friends are in relationships like that, but I don't know if they consider it that way. Isn't it crazy how, like, working this job, you start to, like, look at all your relationships differently and, like, look at the kind of the world differently and you start to mm. identify, like, all these different things and you're like, that's not right. That's not right. Like, yeah, it's kind of sad. It's really sad. It's really, really sad. All the things you thought were normal were, in fact, not normal. And mm-hmm. here we are now figuring it out. So, yeah, it's crazy. So all these types of violence have a lot of different types of behaviors that they can include. The first one being physical violence, right? And that's what we think of most of the time. Someone's trying to hurt their partner. They hit them, you know, kick them, beat them. Like, however you think about it. That's what we usually think about. But it can be sexual violence. So forcing or attempting 
to force a partner to take part in a sexual act. So you may be married to somebody, and if the, you know if you don't consent, even if you're married, you still have to give consent. Consent is cool and mandatory. <laughs> Everybody, read it, write it, abide <laughs> by it, do it, just fucking do it, because man. That's nurse joy, nurse joy for your ass. That consent is cool and mandatory, and mandatory, and absolutely mandatory, man. Um, I had uh, a few cases where, um, actually, in a few people that I've spoken to, which were not that great, but they truly believe that marriage is the consent. Just because you consented to marry somebody means you're consenting to everything else that they would like to do. And let me tell you right now. For anyone that says that to you, you can tell them to fuck all the way off because yeah. no, no red flag. Like, no, just because you marry someone, so if they decide to murder someone, that means you're consenting to them being like a serial a murderer. Killer. Like no, no. And we've had I've had cases to where people consented in the beginning and then changed their mind during, and if they change their mind during, it's still sexual assault. So, mm-hmm. and yeah. then I have had. Ones where they agreed to it, disagreed to it before they had sex, and the partner said, well, you said yes earlier, so that means you, you're you saying yes now, but you're not saying yes now. So that's also something that we had to put in our reports that no means no. No means no. 100%. Hands down. Yep. So, and I'm really glad that all of these movements and stuff have started coming up um, to tell women it's absolutely fine to come forward and all these things because I feel like when I was younger when I was a teen it was like still taboo to talk about right Right. I don't I don't know why is it so hard for people to keep their hands to themselves I'm just saying I'm just saying it's so hard because we wouldn't talk right I am right I know now I'm here to teach you we would talk right right and if you think about it like Back in the day, how much of this stuff was acceptable? Like, or, domestic violence yeah, was or, just like, oh, you know, you don't talk about it. Or, like, you just shut up and take it. Like, it really yeah. wasn't a big deal. And yeah, that's the generation and, and, our parents grew up in. Yeah. And that's just so not normal to teach your kids. <laughs> no. It's just, what? No, it's fine. Like, this happens. It's okay. Just go back to yeah. bed, sweetheart. Wait, yeah. what? No. Fine, it's not normal. Not okay. And, That's why we're all in therapy now. We're all in therapy now. Also, again, uh, with the technology thing, seeing the word sexting on our on our outline is so strange. I it's know. So strange. It's so it's strange. Really freaking crazy. So then would sexual violence with things like taking someone's nudes and posting them, would that count as sexual violence? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, non-consensual. Yeah. 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 That's that's crazy. And that takes away so much of somebody else's consent and decision making, right? When you do, when people do something like that. Mm Mm-hmm. Another one on Posting the nudes, sex tapes, all that shit. So there's the physical violence. There's the sexual violence, right? Um, Those are kind of obvious, I would think, to a lot of people, but maybe not. But there's other things like psychological aggression or stalking, you know, um, you know, stalking is a big thing. I don't know. We, we watch all these movies where someone's being stalked by somebody and, um, they're, they're creepy, but in all reality, that is reality. Um, 
you know, mm-hmm. stalking is a form of violence. And, you know, um, if you can, and that's something huge that men experience is the stalking that men experience from women. Yeah. I've stalked people before. Yeah. Ooh, girl. <laughs> stalking is, Hey, <laughs> listen, I've slapped an ex-boyfriend before and that is intimate partner violence. And I had immediate mm-hmm. regret. Like that's something I'll never, ever forget. Like, it's very clear in my mind, the whole situation, when I slapped him, his reaction, my reaction, I will never do it again. Well, it's, it's like we're humans, but it's wrong. It's wrong yeah. to do that. I mean, but you're wrong. in, the, the, that's the thing about domestic <laughs> violence that I think that it is the most dangerous crime because we, we, you, all, the, all of us have talked about this before. It's a crime of passion, right? So you cannot, mm-hmm. unless you love somebody so much, you can't be so, have so much aggression or so much towards somebody in that kind of way. There's the jealousy, the anger, and it's so volatile. And, you know, me being in law enforcement, you know, previously the most dangerous call a police officer can ever go on is a domestic violence incident. Yes. They don't give yes. a fuck. Their wife cheated, yeah. their husband cheated, they're mad, they're whatever. They got a weapon, whatever. They don't give a fuck. And let me tell you, the woman that calls you because she's upset about her husband, you come put some cuffs around her husband. Now she's jumping on you. There's so mm-hmm. much passion involved. It's a history. Mm-hmm. It's more than yeah. just, you know, somebody, bump, you know, you know, knocks someone on the head and takes their wallet. There's emotions attached to it. And it's so volatile. Yeah. Would you not agree? That's what I was going to say is that the emotion for everybody, like whoever's involved in the situation, emotions are high up across the board and I feel like that's what makes it so dangerous because when your emotions are running high your sense of reason is just not there and so it makes it just a dangerous situation for everyone involved you know it's it is so dangerous and you never know when it's going to be that situation as forensic nurses we get so many domestic violence patients and they're so reluctant they'll disappear I just had one on Friday disappear she came she had been strangled strangled almost to the point of death Mm -hmm. It's called a non-fatal strangulation. We're going to talk about those later, but almost killed her to the point where she had physical consequences from that. And she, what we call eloped, like she disappeared on us. She, when the, yeah. the police were coming, you know, and she was there for medical treatment and the forensic nurse and the exam, she got scared and she left. And that's not uncommon. Yeah. It's not uncommon. No, it's not. They're, they're, they're dependent and- a lot. Maybe they're dependent emotionally. They're dependent, you know, financially. Is the father or mother of multiple children or it's not? There's a whole other dynamic involved when it comes to interpersonal violence. There's a relationship right. and involved. I, I really enjoy, and not to say that it's like a fun thing to have domestic violence, but I really enjoy taking care of them because there's something about when they accept our services and you're interacting with them, you really see the fear that they have and you start to understand why they elope and why they don't want to be involved with law enforcement. There's so much fear surrounding it and they're scared. Is he or her in here? Like, are they going to figure out what that I'm telling? Are they in the next room? Like it's, there's just a lot of fear. And like we said in the previous episodes, like, nurses are the first line of compassion. And so we really get to comfort them and bring them down a notch and, and, and just really make them feel like it's going to be okay. And we're going to help you. And we're here for you because a lot of times that's something they haven't heard ever. Yeah. 
Yes. So psychological aggression, use of verbal and nonverbal communication with the intent to harm a partner mentally or emotionally and or exert control over a partner. So yeah, just any kind of trying to control them. I feel like this can come in the form of constantly checking up on your partner. Where are you? You have to check in on me. Like you didn't call me. I think mm-hmm. that can all be psychological aggression and it's a form of control. Oh yeah. Because when some of these people get that good at manipulating, because I feel like it always starts the same. They get to know you to a level to where they could use it against you. And mm-hmm. that's exactly what's happening. Um, mm-hmm. So they use it against you or manipulate you to think manipulate you using the things that they found on the beginning to make you think how they want you to think yeah absolutely these fucking intimate partner violence like people are insane and this is a lot of a lot of work it's a lot of work and it's a lot of things that happen in a lot of relationships like we said earlier people just don't realize it or they just put up with it and they're like oh it's not that bad because they're not like hitting me, but really they're like fucking with your head. Yeah, dude. That's not cool. That's the crazy, that's also a crazy thing. They're not actually like, because I feel like it exists somewhere where they never touch them or they never forcefully make them have sex with them, but they do psychologically like manipulate them. And that's Mm -hmm. still abuse. Yeah, that's that's 100% abuse. abuse. Yeah, and then that runs into why it's so hard for people to leave because- it breeds for insecurity and stuff like that where you just like i don't know i don't start just yeah and it fucks with your mental health oh yeah oh yeah it's really scary and really hard it is which brings us into gaslighting which is a form of psychological aggression it's crazy that they have terms for these things i know because before the digital age I know. So I feel like before we knew what these things were, but they were never named anything. No. Now you hear these words. Yeah. Yeah. Because now you can identify like this is what this is, but now you hear it in songs. And so what is gaslighting? Gaslighting is a form of psychological manipulation in which the abuser attempts to sow self-doubt and confusion in their victim's mind. Like, I've had this happen to me so much. It's crazy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Typically, gaslighters are seeking to gain power and control over the other person by distorting reality and forcing them to question their own judgment and intuition. So think about it. If you catch your partner lying and then they try to spin it like, no, you're crazy. Why would you think that? Like that's gaslighting. Is and it that like a lot? Is it like, oh, I caught you texting this other girl. Why the fuck are you looking through my phone? Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. They try to flip it onto you. That's or just crazy. try to make you feel like you're crazy. Oh, that didn't happen. Why would you think that? Yeah. Like, no, are you like, sure you're the one that's not cheating on me? Mm-hmm. You know? Oh my gosh. That's mm-hmm. crazy. Now that I think about it, like that happened to me a lot too. Yeah. I just didn't know that this is what it was. Mm-hmm. Also love bombing. Love bombing is characterized by excessive attention, admiration, and affection with the goal to make the recipient feel dependent and obligated to that person. I hear love bombing happens a lot um, after physical assault. So yes, they'll beat your ass and then come back the next day with flowers and candy and your favorite lunch and 
tell you they're sorry and they love you and post the post you on their social media um, to like cover up that one incident. But I hear it just recurs, right? Yeah. And like you said, it's all with the end game of gaining control, right? So then they make you feel like, oh, well, he really does love me. And then you and then you're more inclined to stay. Yeah, and exactly. They like they buy you things. And, yeah, that's crazy. That is crazy. I've been in a domestic violence relationship and it's definitely so it's first of all, if you have a friend or someone, you know, in a, a domestic violence, intimate partner violence relationship, it's not as easy to just get up and walk away. It's not. It's it has a lot of layers and a lot of different complications like in the middle. Plus, like they're dealing with their partner's issues and then their own internal issues you know, and, um, second off, um, the thing that differs these types of cases for the other cases is that these cases, um, this person hurting you, abusing you and injuring you knows you. A lot of the sexual assault, suspicious injuries, things like that are done by strangers. So this one, not only do you know the person, you love the person. So that also is another complicated issue you have to deal with. That's why I feel like they're recurring. Like, we definitely have some um, victims that we see more than once. And then it sucks when we see them again, but it's also good because that means they're still alive. And then when you stop seeing them, you kind of, you often wonder if they got out of it, if they left the person or if they got out of it because the person killed them. And that's the crazy, it's like, you're so right with that. And that's the crazy thing. So we had a patient that that came in who was a victim of domestic violence. She, or I should say intimate partner violence. She had a child with this man and they had a relationship. They weren't living together, but they had a child together. And she came in and um, as a victim of intimate partner violence, and she had two black eyes. That was uh, maybe one or two bruises on a thigh. And she came in and she reported it and she... She'd left. She tried to leave. Or we thought she left. You know, we give her the, all the resources. You know, we uh, connect our patients with advocacy um, resources for counseling and shelter, etc. You know, um, and so that's great that that's possible. However, um, apparently the sister of the father of the child had reached out to this victim and wanted to see the child, but it was a setup. Anyway, so she brought the child. So the next time we saw the patient was two weeks after the first time. How it came about was the law enforcement was out late at night and they pulled somebody over on a traffic violation. And it was the suspect who committed the, you know, the violence on the victim who was also in the car in the passenger seat. Um, and the baby was in the back seat. Well, now the victim had a hoodie on, a sweatshirt, sunglasses, everything. And it was 10 something at night. So it was dark, right? And so thankfully, that law enforcement officer thought that was a little bit awkward and pulled that person, which was the woman, out of the car. And um, anyway, and talked to her. She ultimately was brought back to us, our friends, our unit, where we work. And um, she... There wasn't an inch on her body that didn't have a burn, a bite, a some type of laceration, abrasion. 
She actually had been chained by her neck to the toilet seat for two weeks prior to that. It was just one brief moment where he let her out because they were going somewhere and she was the same person that left, but she got tricked into showing the kid and he kidnapped her and, you know, again, held her captive, chained her to, you know, to the toilet seat by her neck, beat her, you know, repeatedly for two weeks. She was on the brink of death. Had that law enforcement officer not been so, you know, adept in his, you know, like intuition or everything else and, you know, looked at it further, she wouldn't be here today. I guarantee you she'd have been dead in a couple of days based on what she was. Mm-hmm. So, the, you know, and I don't even know where I'm getting with that, but it's repeated. You know, it's something that, you know, if you, intervention, it, it doesn't stop. It never stops. And intervention is key. Nobody's going to beat you one time and never beat you again. They'll bring you flowers, give you gifts. But I'm going to tell you, they beat you once, they beat you twice, they beat you a hundred times. Would you not agree? Yep. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I've also had um, patients in the PICU, not necessarily the patient, but I remember one clear case um, where it was really weird because I work night shift. I've told you guys that the mom was wearing sunglasses. Right, night shift. Where are my night shift people at? Like, hey, uh, y'all, my, that's my people right there. But the mom, the whole night, like I'm talking night shift, seven p.m. to seven a.m., never took her sunglasses off, and it was very bizarre to me. And me, being a per diem forensic nurse, I'm ringing all the alarm bells. I'm like, mm-hmm. something is off here. Like this is not right. And so, as soon as the dad, because this was during COVID times too, right? So we're only allowing one parent to stay at the bedside. So mm-hmm. as soon as the dad left, I asked her, is there any medical reason that you need to wear your sunglasses? And she's saying, oh, I just have really high anxiety and the lights bother me. And I'm like, mm-hmm. bet. Okay. We turned the lights off, turn off. Yeah. that night, right? She never took her sunglasses off. And so mm-hmm. I passed this on to day shift and day shift followed up. She come to find out there was a history of domestic violence there. She had a black eye. It was also odd because the child had super high anxiety too. And I remember the doctor being like, well, if mom has really bad anxiety, why doesn't she go home and dad stay at the bedside? And dad was very adamant that no, mom needed to stay here. And now that I'm thinking back on it, I'm like, I wonder if he wanted her to stay here so that he knew where she was. Because if she were to be the one to leave, it's possible that she could go report him. And so, like Nurse Ellie was saying, that's a red flag. If someone's completely covered and they don't want to expose any part of their body, that might be something you need to look into. I agree with that. You know, those are the signs that, like, we all like to, you know, not get involved and, you know, turn our head the other way. And I get it to an extent. But, you know, just as a human being, if you think something's, not right. It's probably not right. So as pediatric nurses, right, because you also see the parents often, do you have to bring something like that up to social work or something? Absolutely. So for this, it was night shift. So social work's not there. So I pass it on to day shift and then day shift passes on to social work and then social work can contact DCFS and see if there's an open case. Because in this instance, since the child was acting a little erratic, like not erratic, but she just had very, very high anxiety. I was questioning whether maybe she was a witness to something or maybe she had been abused too. Yeah, I I didn't think about it until now because when before I was ever a forensic nurse, there was one instance where I had an elder abuse patient 
because I was looking at her and she had one black eye, which there would never be a reason for. Huh? Oh yeah. The elder abuse. Um, and that was the first time I ever came across a forensic nurse because she came and did the pictures at bedside. And so now that I think about it, you must see or deal with a lot of maybe like two parents that don't get along, you know, or oh, two parents yeah. that, yeah, <laughs> you looked like, you looked like I hit a nerve. <laughs> it's like a little tangent side note, but like pediatrics, you really have three patients. It's your patient who is the child and then the two parents. It's, it's, it's a lot. A lot. I That's can't imagine lot, yeah, being in the any intensive care unit, but especially pediatric. I never did that. You know, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's a whole different aspect when you're in ER. You don't really get the whole picture. You know what I mean? You see people under stress, but you, you don't. A little glimpse. But when you're in the intensive care unit, pediatric for you, especially re, like you're with those yeah. families day by day. You know, day night, yeah. day night for you know, days, months, weeks. You know, and you really get to be part of the family and you see that stuff and you know and i'm not even being a forensic nurse you know that's stuff that you know any nurse that's listening to this if you see that stuff you know take heat so that wraps up part one of domestic violence teen dating violence intimate partner violence and violence against men we'll have part two for you guys next week and as always if anyone you know needs help support anything like that please check our show notes or visit our website. But until then, stay safe and thanks for listening.